0: hitting medical truth cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for join dr peter mccullough world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the mccullough report your life may depend on it
1: Let's get real let's get loud on america loud talk radio this is a mccullough report i'm dr peter mccullough today's show is going to be a long format recent interview i had with maria z from melbourne australia lots of key updates key information please enjoy the listen
2: this latest study that i, I really wanted to speak to you about uh which which you've been speaking about is this um the assessment of myocardial uptake. Uh, at PET, CT, and asymptomatic SARS-CoV-2 vaccinated and non-vaccinated patients, Nakahara. Uh, huge, huge news. Uh, so perhaps we can start there.
1: Yeah, as a cardiologist, uh, you know, we've been searching for answers. We've seen, uh, you know, and record numbers of cardiac arrests in young people, athletes, and uh, and some have clinical myocarditis at autopsy; others don't. Most of them have normal left ventricular function, but something is wrong with the heart. Then this late-breaking paper by Nakahara and colleagues really filled in, I think, a lot of the answers. And they had roughly 700 people who had taken the vaccine, 300 who didn't, and they did cardiac positron emission tomography. Now, that's a test that I order when I'm looking for a diseased area of the heart. Typically, the PET scan will be positive in a zone that's not getting enough blood flow or it's uh, diseased the human heart requires free fatty acids, largely as its fuel source. But when the heart muscle cells change to preferring glucose, that's a pattern that there's dysfunction, metabolic dysfunction or disease, sometimes chronic ischemia. And so what Nakahara reported, which was stunning, which was nearly every person who took a COVID-19 vaccine the heart actually began to prefer glucose over free fatty acids. The F, uh, 18 FGDG, fluorodeoxid glucose, lit up like a Christmas tree in those who took the vaccine. Interestingly, those who had a sore arm even had more intense changes. The people who didn't take the vaccine. They had normal PET scans. A normal PET scan doesn't really take up any 18 FDG. Now, Nakahari had patients uh, out to six months after the shots and the changes were there. So we don't know the implications. Uh, They're so broadly reaching. Uh, But what I can tell you today, it looks like almost no one who took a shot right now has a normal heart by uh, cardiac positron emission tomography scanning.
2: And this is permanent damage, Dr. McCullough? We don't know. Um, I can tell you when there's
1: clinical myocarditis. Now, three studies, Mansugian. Uh, uh, Barron, uh and um mueller and then uh the third one is now levi uh, they demonstrate that there probably is some permanent form of damage with myocarditis certainly those three studies center in on a rate of probably about 2.5 percent of people who take the vaccines per, on each shot suffer some heart damage uh now we have a paper by um uh, a paper from yale uh, uh, by Marta and colleagues showing at nine months, the heart damage is not resolving. Jenna Schauer showed huge heart damage to pa- papers in the journal Pediatrics and Children not resolving. And there's also a paper from uh, Taiwan uh, demonstrating, again, sadly, the um, uh, heart muscle is not, uh, is not healing itself when there is clinical myocarditis. So we have uh, basically a wave of bad news. It looks like there's a form of a metabolic cardiomyopathy in nearly everyone who's taking the shots, about 2.5% sustained damage, what we call myocarditis, uh, and that myocarditis is not clearing up. Now, what I'm seeing in my practice is I'm seeing small areas of damage that we quantify by late gadolinium enhancement on cardiac MRI. A small area would be less than 15% of left ventricle. I am seeing some small areas resolve over time, typically more than a year of treatment, let's say a a 5% or 7%. LGE pattern could resolve, uh, but ones over 15% are not resolving. In general, when there's more than 15% of left ventricle involved with myocarditis, the risk of cardiac arrest skyrockets, and clinically, we actually implant implantable defibrillators.
2: My goodness. Okay, so the the people that are resolving versus the people that uh, w- where it isn't resolving, uh, is there a difference in the number of shots that they've had? Is there a particular factor that determines it more than any other? You know, it hasn't
1: been adequately studied. Uh, what I've observed clinically is that small areas of damage resolve, larger ones do not. I, I would infer probably younger people have a better chance of resolving than older people. I have one person in my practice. Uh, who previously had heart damage from heart attacks. He had a a coronary bypass. He had an ICD in place. He took one shot of Moderna. Now, he's a consultant in his 60s. One shot of Moderna, and within eight hours, he was in cardiogenic shock. He was airlifted to Emory University Medical Center, uh, required full cardiopulmonary support, had a heart transplant, had an intercurrent stroke, an infection, very prolonged course. This is after one shot of Moderna, And you know what, Maria? He called me from Atlanta desperate for assistance because the transplant team wanted him to take a second shot. And he was so destroyed with the first one. I told him to get out of there, which he did. He's now my patient. And that vignette's been written up by Mary Beth Pfeiffer, investigative reporter. It's been published in Trial Site News. He's given the consent to do that. Well, The reason I'm giving you that vignette is to show you in some people who previously have heart disease, how greatly they can be damaged even with one shot.
2: I am astounded that with all of this evidence coming out, there's still a recommendation for someone with heart damage to go and get another shot. I mean, and uh, and I, I want to ask you about that. That that strange thing that's happening because what we are seeing is so much uh evidence coming out so my first question is what do you think has changed in terms of people being uh willing to bring out that evidence and then as a follow-up why is it that so many in the medical profession still aren't seeing it aren't aware of it i mean this is insanity
1: we've had a few reports out in the last uh, week or so you've probably seen them one report that healthcare workers and doctors are progressively declining COVID-19 vaccination. There was a report out from the United Kingdom, one in the United States. They're also declining uh, influenza vaccine. And then more broadly, parents are now starting to decline childhood vaccinations. The CDC just reported record rates of exemptions, people saying they wanna be exempt from taking the shots. So I think uh, there are people backing away from them, uh, but what, what we don't see is capitulation. We don't see people coming out to uh, healthcare professionals, other leaders, and simply admitting they're wrong and uh, helping others now r- recognize what's going on. And, and by admitting that one was on the wrong side of a decision, we we can come clean on this and all together move forward and take care of patients.
2: I agree. I think that there is probably an element of fear about uh, you know coming clean uh especially you know i think i can't remember the gentleman's name now if i can call him a gentleman but he recently said you know there needs to be forgiveness uh you know we were working with the information that we had at the time and the public response was no you won't be forgiven uh you know so uh (laughs) this is and and to be honest with you dr mccullough i'm i'm of the opinion uh strong opinion that those who should have known better like say for example the fda cdc they absolutely can't be forgiven they need to be held accountable in a court of law so that is undeniable uh and uh and so but there are prof- you know medical professionals right now who if they came clean you know lower level w- we were so wrong don't get any more injections people would forgive them do you agree
1: i agree you know america australia the, the westernized countries are enormously forgiving uh and what we don't see though this has been a trend in recent years uh you know we don't see political figures ever admitting they're wrong and anything. Uh, They simply double down or triple down. I I think their political advisors tell them that's a sign of weakness if they admit they're wrong. Uh, On a big public policy decision like COVID-19 mass vaccination, uh, you know, it it, it cannot go on forever that there's continued support for this. I mean, in Texas recently, we've just passed SB 7, Senate Bill 7, which outlaws any more mandates for vaccines. And here we have Baylor College of Medicine in Houston mandating vaccines on students, residents, fellows, nurses, attending physicians. Baylor College of Medicine is breaking Texas law at this point in time, and they're going to have to stop. So at some point, I think there should be just a a public apology that that they're on the wrong side of this issue. Uh, You know, two major societies now, calling for complete withdrawal of all covid-19 vaccines and boosters from the market one is the World Council for Health they issued that uh, that advice in June of uh, June 11th 2022 and now the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons are on March 23 2023 calling for Global withdrawal um, you know you know I've called for withdrawal of all the vaccines Scenes in the U.S. Senate, multiple states, as recently in the European Parliament on September thirteenth,
2: 2023. Well, I, I want to go into a conversation on uh, the future for vaccines in general. Because right now you have uh, Tedros Gebriasis from the WHO uh, basically gaslighting the population, telling them that there is, um, you know, some incorrect information floating around where where it, in relation to the pandemic treaty, he says, and I quote, uh, we find ourselves in a time where fake news lies and conspiracy theories, misinformation and disinformation are rampant. There are individuals who, whether they genuinely believe it or not, are spreading false claims about the pandemic sorry it's not it's not a treaty but that's what it's widely known as that require our attention uh and he says that some argue that this agreement will undermine a country's sovereignty by giving power to the who uh and that the who will be able to impose lockdowns or vaccine mandates on countries now multiple legal experts around the world including here in australia and i'm working with some of them have uh, assessed what the international health regulations amendments for example say and they say that unequivocally this does give the who that power and Tedros is calling on governments to bring in new laws to basically silence anyone who would challenge this this uh these falsities that he's claiming that that it's not going to give the WHO more power they are absolutely determined Dr McCullough to keep going with MRNA in particular which these injections so far have been devastating what are your thoughts on all of this well it's true
1: that the WHO does aspire to have dominion over all plants, animals, and, and humans. And through this pandemic uh, treaty alliance and the international health regulations, uh, you know they wanna memorialize it binding by, uh, by international law. Uh, to, to get a fair counter narrative and, and evaluation and analysis, you can go to the World Council for Health. Uh, remember Dr. Tess Lowry, uh, you know, formerly was a very high level advisor to the WHO. And uh, she they have a policy brief on the WHO uh, new regulations and, and what they mean for the world. That's a fair analysis. Uh, we have uh, multiple, multiple bills in the United States and House and the Senate all calling for the U.S. to pull out of the WHO. Uh, former President Trump has uh, has said that, you know, one of his first um, acts, if he's uh, brought back into power, would be to withdraw the US from the from the WHO. So Tedros is in trouble. Instead of trying to use weaponized propaganda terms like misinformation and disinformation, he should come out and, and let's let's have some fair discussions about this, as opposed to try to railroad the world into you know into Submission. control by the
2: WHO. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, uh, I I note uh, some good news that on that particular ex post from Tedros, I noticed an overwhelming response from people uh, criticizing him saying, no, you are not going to silence us. We have, you know, consensus all around the world that this is uh, a complete overreach, no one wants it. And uh, I have to say, I spoke at at an event just this weekend in Adelaide in Australia, and every single person is ready to exit the, the WHO and quickly for the viewers, Australia exits, the who.com go there, uh, put your contact details in and get involved in this movement. We also have Christine Anderson speaking very, very loudly, uh, in Europe on this issue, Dr. McCullough. So I agree, uh, with all of these people. Now, what the, the, the future that the WHO envisions and, and big, the big pharma industry, um, when they talk about vaccines, the, the flu vaccine is a perfect example of this, where, you know, mRNA is introduced now as well in Australia. We've had more uh, something added into the childhood vaccines schedule. I think mm. it's also um, mRNA. This is the way that they want to move forward. Um, and I want to ask you, I have zero trust in this technology. Do you think that there is any chance that this will ever be safe or have they proven themselves to just be deadly moving forward?
1: I've looked at it carefully, you know, unfortunately, the world's had a love affair with messenger RNA, a paper by Lalani and colleagues, British Medical Journal. Since 1985, tens of billions of government dollars have been poured into messenger RNA. You know, there's over 9,000 patents on messenger RNA. The top patent uh, holders include uh, Sanofi, uh, BioNTech, CureVac. Uh, Moderna the US government 9000 now Carrico and Weissman recently received the Nobel Prize just for a minor modification of messenger RNA called pseudo-uridination. no single person invented messenger RNA no one came out of their garage and and you know and, and can say that while wow, they invented it it's 9000 patents uh you know the major most cited patent holders are actually young and and horror. Um, But the the bottom line is there's been a love affair with messenger RNA. We now know in a paper by uh, Schreckenberg from Germany that messenger RNA, both Pfizer and Moderna, is directly toxic to cardiomyocytes, heart muscle cells. They take it up. Paper by Crossan and colleagues show that uh, in human hearts and people died after the vaccine, the messenger RNA is stuck in the human heart uh, it's circulatory uh, in the bloodstream, at least a month shown by Castriuna stuck in lymph nodes and in uh, in you know around the axilla and the arm where it's injected for at least a couple months. All this adds up to the fact that messenger RNA technology for vaccines is going to be unsafe. It's going to take the flu shot, which is relatively safe. It's ineffective, but relatively safe. And it's going to make it unsafe. It, it will also for the RSV and all the other Vaccines it's going to make them progressively uh, more dangerous to the population. There should be a ban on all messenger RNA development at this point in time, given the COVID nineteen vaccine debacle.
2: And I presume you uh, agree that is the case for mRNA in food as well.
1: It's true. We we have a a statement by the um, WHO in two thousand and five that said if vaccines were going to get into the food supply, it should come under the medicinal regulatory agencies like the FDA and the TGA. And yet our USDA has not done that. We have self-replicating RNA and DNA vaccines in pork since 2017. We don't know what the implications are. Not yet in beef and not yet in uh, vegetables and other foods. But if you go on the USDA website, you see a bevy of, of projects. It's getting everybody very nervous because recently the Chinese have shown that messenger RNA can actually pass the mammalian GI tract and be absorbed.
2: Yes, uh, they were talking about in Australia, and uh, and the the um, sort of meat industry heads have not responded to me uh about my inquiry because they said that as of august 2023 they were going to start doing this uh to all livestock in the state of new south wales to protect from foot and mouth and lumpy skin uh and we don't have these problems in australia there's no need to inject our our livestock i know that they did a trial uh dr mccullough with some sheep and some cows uh, sorry some sheep Specifically in the state of New South Wales, we don't know where those sheep came from. We don't know what happened to them, and we don't know where they went. And so, my question is: if that, if, if they were to put those sheep into a field with other animals, is it possible that, that 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 shedding could occur? I mean, how much do we really know about this?
1: We simply don't know uh, about you know mammalian shedding uh, at this point in time. Uh, but I can tell you, I've talked to some natural pathic veterinarians, and they say with modern farming techniques and the cleanliness that we have, we actually don't need any vaccines in livestock. So in cattle, I know that there's a core pack, uh, what's called a clostridial pack, and then a reproductive pack. In, in cattle right now, they're all conventional antigen uh, live, attenuate, live attenuated and killed vaccines, but they're simply not needed. At this point in time, this is an opportunity for organic farmers and others to distinguish themselves uh, and and actually begin to label their products as being free of vaccines, free of genetic vaccines. We had a big push in Missouri, uh, a house bill to try to uh, force labeling. If genetic vaccines were going to be used, they'd have to label it. And that was defeated. So it turns out there's some good guys and bad guys. The good guys are the US Cattlemen's Association and the bad guys are the National Cattlemen and Beef Association and and the national group, uh, they worked with our Democratic Party in Missouri to continue to conceal whether or not these genetic vaccines are used in our food supply.
2: Wow. Unbelievable. Uh, quick mention, seeing as we're on this topic, Stockman Stakes in Australia, non-GMO, guaranteed no mRNA, uh, you know, all grass-fed, natural. Links in the description below. And I'll tell you what, you're, you're absolutely right, Dr. McCullough. Now is the perfect opportunity for these types of uh, businesses and, and farmers and c- p- businesses in general with conservative values, clothing brands, whatever it may be that don't subscribe to ESG and the globalist goals uh, will absolutely Absolutely skyrocket in this time because the, the 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 movement of people around the world to decouple from globalism is really growing. Would you agree? I agree. You know, with the food supply right now, I I've
1: stopped eating any pork products. I don't think they're trustable, even though the the, the cooking and curing process probably denatures the RNA and DNA used. Uh, we simply can't know at this point in time. In terms of other GMOs, the best we can do right now is choose organic and start to really influence our, our farmers to help distinguish themselves. Because I think they will get premium pricing in terms of you know offering a, a pure, cleaner food supply.
2: I agree, if we can shift the entire population to supporting pure and clean food supply, guess what? Uh, the money talks, you know, so I, I think that's that this is the perfect time to change the world because everybody cares about food uh, and we can really change the trajectory of the world. But there are a number of different issues as we see. We see uh, escalating global con- uh, conflict. Uh, we see an escalation of all of these other, um, you know, sort of weather events and everything around the world, Dr. McCullough. And as well as that, they seem to be doubling down on this over-sexualization of children i know this is a topic you and i have touched on before uh but i'd like to get your thoughts on on you know the damage that this is actually doing to children long term we see a lot of people coming back now and suing the advice that they were previously given to mutilate their bodies uh, on a on a whim and so uh where do you see this going i mean it's insane yeah we thought
1: that something went wrong with the house of medicine kind of the medical orthodoxy with COVID-19, the the failure to treat sick patients, the failure to advance uh, multi-drug protocols in the hospital and save people, uh, and then pushing mass vaccination on the population, that this was all strongly endorsed by the medical orthodoxy, every medical school, every major health system worldwide. Uh, We thought maybe that was just uh, an aberration driven out of fear, the pandemic, the emergency countermeasures. But then, when the when the transgender crisis reared its head, we said, "Wait a minute! There, there's no there's no uh, you know national emergency. There's no there's no worldwide gender emergency." And what we've learned on this, Maria, is absolutely stunning. Uh, that uh, this this gender crisis had been brewing in Europe for several years. Uh, Vandermeerssen and colleagues reported about 15 years ago that the children coming forward for gender change were largely autistic. They had autistic. Tendencies and that explains a lot, right? But what normal child would go would come forward and, and, and do this to themselves? Uh, and, and now, warrior and colleagues have tested people, uh, LGBT and, and particularly transgender. and They're very high on autistic traits, and uh, we have you know supportive data now suggesting that the autism epidemic. When I was a child, autism was one in ten thousand. Now it's one in thirty-six. That the autism epidemic is fueling the transgender crisis as as subjects. Now, you take someone with autism spectrum disorder and say, are they suggestible? Do they feel ostracized? Are they susceptible to an influx of indoctrination by pornography? The answer is yes, 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 and it doesn't look good uh, at all. Now, on the medical side of, of transgender medicine, of which every major medical center supports. Every single health system supports. The Endocrine Society, American College of Pediatrics, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, they're fully behind transgender medicine as a treatment for gender dysphoria. This is what we know. The hormones, in a paper by Santos and colleagues, uh, make the kids sick uh, about 59% of the time. Nausea, vomiting, headache, weight gain, acne, insomnia. It's terrible because you know the normal human body is not supposed to get uh you know either lupron or androgens or estrogens it's it's very abnormal and now the the surgeries are nothing less than than horrifying what we know is the um doing um doing mastectomy in young girls causes contractures scars they scrape off all the breast tissue down to the pectoralis muscle it's uh, it's very uncomfortable the uh, surgeries in young women uh, to the clitoris called metoidoplasty or actually just a, a a phalloplasty, which is making a false penis from a, a, a large chunk of tissue from the arm or or thigh is 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 um disfiguring, doesn't drain urine correctly, doesn't sexually function at all. And in the boys it's it's far worse. The boys the lead surgery is called the um the penile inversion vaginoplasty. now it sounds bad and it is bad maria what we know is they're slicing open the penis long ways coining it out stuffing it inside the pelvis as a rudimentary vagina it doesn't drain urine correctly doesn't sexually function gets it it it's it uh, gets infected uh, castration bec- of course becomes permanent and uh, and we you know what are the outcomes here well a paper in sexual medicine shows that going through this this gender change as a child, actually increases the psychiatric burden of disease, doesn't improve it. Uh, we know that now in a, in a paper from the UK in JAMA, that um, transgender medicine increases the risk of homicide, suicide, and death from all, all, all causes. So transgender medicine is bad medicine. No ethical doctor, nurse, or technician should participate in it and yet they are. So in the United States, we've actually had to go state by state and ban transgender medicine in the youth. We know there's a withdrawal of transgender medicine across Europe now, so they're already pulling out in multiple countries. In Texas, we went through this battle. I assisted the attorney general with an expert report that ultimately went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And so we've enjoyed now two months of no transgender medicine in the great state of Texas. Good riddance. Um, I can tell you as a doctor, I take care of transgender adults and LGBT. We have you know a broad acceptance of diversity in medicine. I think if people as adults want to pay for their own uh, medical care and do this to themselves, that's their choice. But uh, it is bad medicine in children, and I'm here to stop it.
2: Well, I- I'm so grateful to hear that, uh, that, that there's so much action happening across the United States. We need certainly need more of it in Australia. As you would know, uh, doctors here are, are much more silenced than they are in the United States. We have APRA coming after them if at any point they would say anything that's contrary to the scientific consensus. Uh, and so I really, really hope that Australia starts to follow suit, Dr. McCullough. Um, I want to ask you about this, this autism link uh, because we also have an autism link with childhood vaccines. That's also undeniable at this point. It's so- true.
1: It's not It's not looking good, uh, Maria. What we know now is there's about 200 papers showing that this hyper giving multiple vaccines in the same administration, is related to immune system dysregulation. And uh, there's now roughly about 800 papers showing that the, the the intensification of the vaccine schedule has been ecologically related to neuropsychiatric disorders broadly and that includes attention deficit disorder asperger's disease autism spectrum disorder as well as some other motor and cognitive uh, d- disorders you know the the vignettes of mothers i think are so uh, impressive where a child will receive you know six to twelve shots of vaccines all in combination products at once go home develop a febrile seizure and and after that point in time they're never the same they develop the, the characteristics of, of autism so uh you know in the converse the analysis on the converse is amazing papers by Mawson, hooker miller thomas and older amish study all show going natural taking no vaccines at all during childhood much lower rates of the neuropsychiatric disorders but also lower rates of asthma atopic dermatitis, need for tympanostomy tubes, need for antibiotics, etc. So, uh, you know, like I say, in the United States, we have record declines now in childhood vaccination.
0: The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. World class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Out loud. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with CoFix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID? Anyhow, CoFix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. CoFix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. America Out Dot News, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation, so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Week.
2: Going to the DNA damage uh, that's recently come out from, from the COVID injections. So a lot of people don't actually understand what DNA damage is uh and particularly relating to the COVID injections so can you talk us through this entire topic please dr McCullough?
1: well there's been several emerging papers so i want to be able to cite them one is by speakler from canada in the preprint server and mckernan in the united states uh now about a dozen labs have reported in dr uh, uh, uh buckhalter from university of south Carolina has just testified in the south carolina senate he's confirmed it as well so this is now out, uh, the World Council for Health has had an entire symposium on this where all the data have been reviewed. This is what we know. The vaccine vials have process-related impurities in it that are fragments of DNA. And how the, the messenger RNA vaccines are mass-produced is the DNA code for the messenger RNA is in what's called a plasmid, a little circular piece of DNA that is out in the cytoplasm of E. coli. And so as E. coli replicate, they make more and more of the cDNA coding for the messenger RNA. And so then the E. coli are actually given antibiotics to kill the E. coli uh, in order to basically segregate out the plasmids that are containing the code for Pfizer-Moderna. Those plasmids have embedded it into, by the way, antibiotic resistant genes. That's how they're doing it. It's a mass production, it's called process two. Okay, so when that's done, the uh, that uh, DNA in it has a promoter that promotes a massive upregulation of the messenger RNA production. And that promoter complex is called SV40. It includes a a enhancer, a promoter, and what's called an origin of insertion. It's a a complex. Well, the antibiotic resistant genes and the uh, SV40 complex have been found in Pfizer and Moderna as DNA process related impurities. Sometimes they're above an arbitrary threshold of concern. Sometimes they're not. In the Speckler study, they are related to adverse events which is interesting, when they create a variable called the SAE, the serious adverse event to adverse event ratio. But it, it, should, it, it should be random if it was uh, not of importance. This has been brought to both the U.S. and Canadian authorities. They have said it's no, of no concern because the they're low level and uh, they don't believe they're related to anything. But this is how this fits into a broader picture of a concern about cancer because these are genetic technologies and cancers are a genetic you know, illness by and large, certainly with respect to either inherited or spontaneous mutations, giving injections every six months could cause cancer. Well, how is that the case? In a paper by Angues and colleagues, the multi-hit hypothesis of cancer with, with COVID-19 vaccines has, has been brought forward. And this is what we know. The spike protein produced from the vaccines in a modeling study from University of Pittsburgh by Singh and and Singh, show that it is likely to impair tumor suppressor systems, P53 and BRCA, BRCA, which controls female reproductive cancer. So that's the first hit. The Chinese showed that the messenger RNA fragments inhibit DNA repair of normal human cells. That's hit number two. And now the discovery of SV40, a known tumor promoter sequence, in the vials of messenger RNA, that's hit number three. So uh, Baylor and Sutherland published in 1984 the multi hit hypothesis and said if we ever have an exposure, a chemical or a drug, and it has multiple hits that are oncogenic together, it's likely to form cancer. So here we go now. So since the rollout of the COVID 19 vaccines, every cancer registry is showing cancer skyrocketing. Yep both recurrent cancers of people who have uh, a indolent malignancy or malignancy and remission and de novo cancers. We're seeing cancers that are governed by P53, including melanoma, uh, renal cell cancer, other solid organ tumors, as well as BRCA, which is breast, uh, uh, ovarian, and uterine cancers. We're seeing those rise, and uh, the the, uh, the oncologists have no answer at this point in time. You know, a term has been coined, and it's very appropriate, it's called turbo cancer because these cancers progress so rapidly some patients don't have a chance to even get chemotherapy or radiation.
2: Yes. Uh, so so uh, you use the word uh, process-related impurities, uh, and I want to ask, is it, does this mean that it was an accident? It's accidentally causing turbo cancers, or is it possible that this process related impurity was done on purpose?
1: What we've learned is that all RNA products that rely on plasmid DNA, these little circular places of DNA to crank out the messenger RNA, um, you you know, when the E. coli are harvested, the, the, um, uh, you know, the, the uh, E. coli are killed, and then the DNA is harvested and the RNA is harvested. The DNA has to be dissolved with what's called DNA aces. And it's it's, it's likely impossible to get rid of all the DNA. So there are process-related, you know, little fragments of DNA in these RNA products. Now, In cardiology, I can use a few RNA products right now. I can use Inclinziran and Pitirisan. These are small interfering RNA uh, products. And and the FDA, the regulatory agencies have arbitrary thresholds uh, uh, for this, both on the quantity as well as the size of the fragments. Uh, but but they're very arbitrary and, and we don't know if, if they're related uh, you know, to any adverse events or not until we had the Spiegler paper. Having said all this, uh, this is more than enough information to put a halt on these vaccines and have a very thorough investigation. I think we should link all the cancer registries to the vaccine administration registries immediately and have an immediate analysis for this. We need tumors. Uh, and the tumor registries to actually stain for messenger RNA like uh, like it was done in the um, in the crossing paper for the heart, uh, as well as stain for spike protein. And we need an all-hands-on-deck approach. I have to tell you, Maria, that if the vaccines are proven to cause cancer, which they're not, but if they are, I think we're going to see worldwide mass panic. I mean, two-thirds of the world took these vaccines.
2: And- I want to ask as well then, with what is, okay, there's a a few layers to my question. If it is DNA damage, does that also affect the psychology of a person? Does it, can, can that change the person's very, apart from, you know, cancer or other things that can stem from these actual physical illnesses, can it change the person themselves?
1: There are some papers written about um about genetic vaccination, you know, causing psychiatric changes. That's been well described. Abora Vina and colleagues from Croatia uh, described some cases of, of people who basically developed acute psychosis after vaccination. One person tried to commit suicide by stabbing themselves in the abdomen. They all had to be uh, hospitalized. Separately, Senaf and colleagues, I'm an author on the paper, have laid the, out the rationale for how the vaccines could cause amyloid plaques in the brain. Uh, that's the most common feature that we see in Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative disease. And lastly, um, uh, um, Mortz uh, alone in a single paper has written uh, and described a case of rapidly progressive uh, Parkinson's disease, you know, leading to simultaneous neurologic and cardiac death after three. Uh, Pfizer shots. So all of this is converging in the literature. I, I think the answer is yes because the lipid nanoparticles do go into the brain. We have multiple mechanisms where it's possible that human behavior uh, could change uh, not only with respect to just, um, you know, cognition uh, and cognitive decline and dementia, but, but theoretically, with respect to emotions and and other aspects of you know of human thought.
2: Uh, in these cases that were reviewed in these papers, Dr. McCullough was the. Do you, do you know if the individual was aware that there were changes in the way that they thought?
1: The best paper is this uh, autopsy paper by Mortz, where the family was you know observing their loved one who was in senior living and was, you know, his first shot, second shot, he got progressively worse. He got to the point where he couldn't walk. Ultimately, he died of a a cardiovascular collapse, had an autopsy, and there was clear evidence of the vaccine in the brain. It was affecting the blood vessels in the brain, but it was in the brain tissue as well. So this is very uh, disturbing. Uh, there was another autopsy paper from uh, from Switzerland that showed the same thing. So as we sit here today, I, you know I can tell you as a doctor, I'm deeply disturbed, but those who took the vaccine, there almost certainly is vaccine in the human brain, vaccine material, messenger RNA, and of course, the disease promoting and damaging spike protein.
2: I ask this because a lot of people around the world, and I, I know it's happening from every country because I have people across my channels, uh, you know, that are everywhere and they say that they are seeing, um, you know, people are becoming more intolerant, more impatient, uh, at the same time, a lot slower in their thinking process. Uh, they seem to struggle with, you know, simple equations even. And I wonder, you know, and I've interviewed Dr. Seneff as well on on this particular paper you referenced, Mm. I wonder whether this could be the explanation at a more widespread level. And hopefully we'll have some more studies to that effect.
1: Yeah, it, it's hard to know. I, I can tell you there are some neurologic syndr- syndromes that I'm very confident are as direct consequence of the vaccines, and, and they're largely ones where it's viral reactivation. So, for instance, uh, former U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein had neuroinvasive varicella zoster reactivation, or shingles, that uh, f- affected the, uh, the facial nerve and it invaded the brain and was lethal for her. Uh, Justin Bieber, a uh, popular pop singer has Ramsey-Hunt syndrome and, and that damages again the, the facial nerve and, uh, and he, in his eye and his mouth and he, he can't sing or perform. He's now two years, he cannot um, you know, he cannot perform. And then lastly, uh, another neuroinvasive syndrome. This is really disturbing. First author is Karagokoulos and colleagues. I'm also an author on that paper, A Man in Greece took uh, the COVID-19 vaccine shots, primary series, and developed an invasive basaloid cancer in the temporal area. It uh, destroyed his facial nerve and the trigeminal nerve and and went right into the brain and was lethal. So this is well-documented. This is published now in the peer-reviewed literature. It's searchable in the National Library of Medicine. It's probably the first case of of certainly COVID-19 vaccine-induced fatal cancer and it's interesting that it was a neural invasive syndrome
2: but there are people that have been injected and i've seen them on social media and they say I'm, i've got very long COVID. they've got anything from chronic fatigue one particular woman poor thing completely debilitated in her bed for the last uh, i think 18 months now and uh and she has a, a couple of hours where she can even function mentally per day her husband's taking care of her it is devastating uh and she says that she's she's would still rather this than have to have gotten COVID. uh so you know it's insanity to me but um is very long COVID real or is this just vaccine damage cover-up
1: let me tell you i'm seeing patients in my clinic for sure who've had COVID, you know and or had the vaccines and they're sick for a couple years so it, it's a prolonged syndrome Bruce Patterson at Dx has shown the S1 segment in CD16 positive monocytes for 15 months. I've asked him what he sees at the vaccine. So far, he sees full-length spike protein as long as he's observed in the samples. Brogna and colleagues from Germany shows full-length spike from Pfizer Moderna circulating in the blood for six months. And that's as long as, uh, as Brogna evaluated, this could be circulating for years. If you have an abnormal disease promoting protein in the bloodstream, Maria, people are not going to feel good. So we've seen this. Uh, you know, a paper that caught my eye was published by DXner and colleagues from, again, from Germany, 48,000 people with long COVID. And you know what? About 78% of it is actually from the vaccine. About 70%, sorry. 70, 70% of quote, long COVID, people have been heavily vaccinated, and they've gotten COVID before afterwards. So it's probably the vaccine that's making them feel sick. So I think it's a real syndrome. Our Biden administration and HHS spent a billion dollars studying long COVID, not a single new drug or protocol, nothing for to help people get through this. And that's the reason why we took this into our own hands and published McCullough Protocol Base Spike Detoxification.
2: Yes, I really do encourage people to have a look at that. And I note that in the UK, I, I saw a, a treatment that they were proposing, and I think they've they, they want to bring a similar program here uh, to Australia, where they've got people going to a long COVID clinic. They put them on a on a VR goggle set, uh, and they get them to do you know activities like. Golf in the metaverse, and apparently that's going to help them with long COVID. Uh, really bizarre. I mean, sure, you know, <laughs> well,
1: you know, we've studied this. You know, uh, you know, there are lists and lists of of proposed treatments to do both medicinal, uh, you know, over the counter supplements and activities. But what we found, I've been working on this for four years. Here, unless we dissolve the spike protein, we actually physically have to get rid of it. People will get get you know continue to be sick. So all the all the treatments that kind of cover up the symptoms, they're not solving the problem. So what we proposed is the use of natokinase, uh, you know, 2,000 units twice a day, which dissolves the spike protein. Bromelain, 500 milligrams a day. And then curcumin, 500 milligrams twice a day, which really in randomized trials helps manage the inflammation of the spike uh, uh, fragments. And that combination together is a low dose combination products. Uh, You can get them through a whole variety of sources. Wellness company has uh, 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 spike support. That's probably the most widely used. And our clinic now, we have a combination product, uh, BSD, it's all in one capsule. But the bottom line is we have to do that for three, six, nine, or 12 months and then other things to actually handle the symptoms. And so N-acetylcysteine, uh, nicotine, uh, sometimes ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine plays a role, colchicine, but it's all on top of the base. It's base spike detoxification. Having said that COVID's behind us, uh, Maria, the, the uh, fall outbreak of, of EG5 and F and um, FL1.5 and HB, it's, it's, it's on the way down. It was a very diverse, but small outbreak. Uh, the boosters were completely missed the mark on XBB 1.5, and as you said, basically people aren't taking the boosters now. They're just laying on the shelves. Uh, nearly all the vaccine mandates have fallen, and people want to move on. People want to move on from COVID. That, they don't want to be any, see our CDC director Mandy Cohen, you know, promoting more COVID vaccines. If someone's following her directions, they're on their ninth shot.
2: We have had multiple headlines just in the past week here in Australia about health authorities calling for the return of mask mandates ahead of Christmas because they think there's going to be some sort of a COVID outbreak during Christmas. And apparently, the cases, the hospitalizations for COVID, are skyrocketing across Australia, as you've uh, uh, spoken about. And, and there's a there's a paper here as well that I have, which you've um, which you've shared uh the uh, this was actually the daily clout report 90 Pfizer's post-marketing surveillance shows mRNA vaccinated suffered thousands of COVID cases in the first 90 days of the rollout so uh basically and this is what you've been saying from the start no more injections but uh at this point Dr McCullough as you said COVID's behind us what are they doing trying to resurrect these these mandates these mask mandates ahead of Christmas of course
1: Well, the ramping up fear, first remember masks, public masking was found to be ineffective by the Cochrane analysis, over 80 studies. Public masking doesn't work. Even our CDC doesn't say to do that. Our CDC says only wear a mask when a doctor or nurse goes into respiratory isolation. So we we simply don't need masks. Now, um, the the, uh, cases of COVID in the hospital, that's simply a product of testing. If the hospitals go back to testing people, Uh, indiscriminately, they will generate cases. Remember, someone stays positive on the COVID test for many months after they've had the infection. So unless they're adjudicated cases for COVID pneumonia, they really should be ignored. You know, in the United States, they were testing every woman coming in for labor and delivery, whether they were sick or not. this has been going on forever now. And all the studies show it's always five, 10 to 15% of normal, healthy uh, women delivering babies test positive for COVID-19. So the the hospital case uh, type of reporting right now is simply not reliable because it's not adjudicated. Most people are having second, third infections. But your point is the more shots that are taken, the more likely they're gonna be positive for COVID. And that was shown by the Cleveland Clinic in a paper by Shretha and colleagues. So it backfires. The more shots that are taken, the immune system is actually distracted or weakened and the more likely they are to get COVID.
2: Uh, I was just uh, on your point before about, you know, the PCR test. I just uh, got word again from Adelaide that there is a particular nursing home, and I wish I could remember its name now, that uh, ordered that everyone be subjected to regular testing again. And as a result, all these Faulty results are coming through, and so they have returned to, uh, you know, no visitors. These elderly patients again having to mask up, not see their loved ones. It is insanity that at this point this is still happening. And I guess I want to circle back to the point, Dr. McCullough, of this is really a product of the World Health Organization and their poor advice. Uh, and you know, where do, what, in the last few minutes that we have, what does the world really need to do moving forward? For me, it's exiting the World Health Organization. To taking the country's health advice back into its own hands and, you know, quite frankly, propping people like you and doctors who have common sense uh, up and trusting, you know, maybe you can start, uh, uh, maybe you can be the new World Health Organization, Dr. McCullough, I don't know.
1: Well, you're right. The World Health Organization should be dropped. It's it's clearly at this point in time compromised by, uh, you know, by China, by the Gates Foundation. It's an NGO. It's not an elected entity uh, anyway. Uh, everyone should pull out of the WHO. And that was my testimony in the European Parliament on September 13, 2023, pull out of the WHO. You know, an alternative is the World Council for Health. It's a grassroots organization, has dozens and dozens of local countries. It's decentralized. Uh, power should be returned to the patient and the doctor in the in the doctor-patient relationship for sure. You know, as a practicing doctor, I wouldn't follow anything that the WHO advises. Now, I'll look at, you know, analyses, I'll look at data, various definitions, in vitro diagnostics. I'm not saying the WHO is all bad, uh, but they should have no influence on the conduct of healthcare and certainly have no influence on pandemic response. They completely failed on pandemic response. So did the major government agencies. The next time there's a pandemic, and we probably will have one, it should be up to doctors in the field to decide what to do, and they should be free to collaborate with no um, with no shackles on communication. We should never have any uh, pressure or coercion, threat of reprisal for doctors innovating and collaborating in the field. By the way, it's doctors and nurses that treat patients, not the WHO or these regulatory agencies.
2: Or, or the chief health officer of New South Wales who'd never treated a COVID patient in her life telling us how to treat it. Uh, you know, you, you, you said the words we'll probably have another pandemic. I agree. I think that they'll continue to manufacture these situations. They've already told us, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that more pandemics are coming, uh, and you made the statement that the WHO is compromised. I would agree when you have an organization that's funded largely by big pharma, it's in their best interest to keep pandemics going. So, None of these organizations can be trusted, Dr. McCullough. Well, final question for you, you travel a lot, you go around the world a lot. Do you think that people are starting to realize this and the world is really looking like uh, we can actually get out of these globalist organizations and start to rebuild something more positive?
1: They certainly are. I don't think we should look to any president or premier or senator or congressman to lead us. People are going to lead themselves. They're doing their own research. They're making their own decisions. Uh, the next pandemic, by the way, probably will be another respiratory virus similar to COVID. There's too many of these biological uh, bio labs out there producing these infectious and dangerous organisms. Sooner or later, another one's going to leak out. The best thing to know about is the use of virucidal nasal sprays and washes, dilute iodine, xylitol, colloidal silver for the nasal sprays, um, Scope or Listerine with hydrogen peroxide or iodine for the gargles. Uh, wellness companies got a great medical. A uh, kit, a survival kit uh, with uh, various key medicines—about half a dozen—that one would need to initially survive, survive a, you know, a wave of a pandemic illness until we can get our bearings. Um, everybody's going to be ready this time, and uh, you know, things won't get too far out of control if people are assertive. Uh, with COVID-19, we were behind for a, a, a considerable period of time. Remember, McCullough Protocol wasn't published until August of 2020. Great Barrington Declaration and the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons Home Treatment Guide, they were published in October of 2020. You know That's fully six to nine months behind. Not the case this time. We're gonna be way ahead of them. And it's the public that is going to determine its own destiny, not a globalist agenda and we've seen the downfall now of, of public health, uh, as well as an overreaching uh, governmental bodies. And people have had enough, and I just don't think they're going to take it.
2: I agree with you. I agree with you, Dr. McCullough, and certainly thanks to you uh, for everything that you've brought out uh, that, that is true and factual uh, and, you know, <laughs> separated from the hype of the people in medicine right. who just can't think beyond their fear. So we are so, so grateful for you. I encourage people to go to your Substack, stack uh, and uh, that, that's up on the screen right now. Uh, stay in touch with Dr. McCullough via his X account. Any other places that you want to mention?
1: Sure. Go to my website, PeterMcCulloughMD.com. That'll take you everywhere. My Courageous Discourse Substack, one of the top medical substacks. Remember the McCullough Report, very popular Australia all over the world. That comes out on Saturday, Sunday, then it's on the Apple iHeart Podcast Network. My book, Courage to Face COVID-19, so suffered two weeks of being banned from Amazon on a bogus claim of offensive content was restored because of pressure from the public and social media, got to pick up a copy of Courage to Face COVID. Go to courage to com, and, and I can tell you, I'm going to be with you for the long haul. This is the rise of independent media. And we're going to see how strong people are in terms of defending their own civil liberties, particularly freedom of speech as we move forward.
2: I agree with you, Dr. McCullough. Thank you so much for all of your work. And, uh, and, and your courage is contagious if there's anything that we need to be infectious it's courage so we thank you for yours god bless you we'll see you soon thank you